Hey, I'm Jesse. We're in our last two devotions today and tomorrow on 1 Corinthians, and then it's time for some Nehemiah. I want to show you a thread that connects from chapter 12 into 13 of, of 1 Corinthians into chapter 16. This is the end of chapter 12, wherein the spiritual gifts are cataloged. Verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Okay, if you came from the charismatic background, you were told that you gotta speak in tongues in order to be saved, there is scriptural proof that the answer is no, you don't have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. Do all interpret? Here's verse 31, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. This is the transition into the chapter about love, the biblical definition for love in the context of how you use your spiritual gifts. And it's done in a loving way. Our sermon this past weekend on grace for a severely flawed church, everything came back to the gospel. And what I was hoping to do in our sermon this past weekend was zoom way out and not look just at in, in depth at each of these instances of what I count as like the 14 uh, severe issues within the Corinthian church, but to look at them collectively and see how Paul used the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel to just address every one of them. And, and at the crux of it, I see this love, love, the way that we deal with flaws in our churches with love and the way that we use our spiritual gifts in the context of the church is through love and the way that you exercise the gift of prophecy, the way that you use the gift of tongues, the way that you use any gift, any gift at all. It's in love. So he says, this is the better way in verse 31 of chapter 12. Chapter 13, which we've already been through, teaches us about love and how that's how you use your spiritual gifts. And then this set the tone for something that came up in chapter 16. Thank you so much for your encouraging words, by the way, some of you, some of you reached out to us at, at jessecampbellministries.com and through redemptionwashington.com to talk about that simple devotion on chapter 16, verse 14, do everything in love. It's four little words that just change everything. Uh, I'm blown away by the feedback that we got on that simple little devotional because it's just four words, but it's true, right? It does change everything. What I hope to illuminate today is that Paul said in the end of chapter 12, Look, we all have different spiritual gifts. We're all very different from each other. Not, never, not everybody prophesies, not everybody interprets, not everybody can work miracles. I'll show you an even better way. He teaches about love in chapter 13 and how even if you have the gift of prophecy, you can fathom like all knowledge. If you don't have love, it means nothing. And then show how this returns in chapter 16, verse 14. Do everything in love. One of the things that we emphasized in our sermon this past weekend was about applying the gospel when there's issues within the church. Spent a lot of time talking about church discipline. But there's something else that I see. The most excellent way to do church, the most excellent way to use your spiritual gifts, and a practical way in which you would do everything in love is this radical forgiveness. 
we talked this weekend about how to confront someone when they're sinning, but we didn't talk as much because I just, I, I had no time. I, I could, <laughs> I feel like I could preach for six hours straight and still not exhaust everything that's in the text because it's just so rich. So I want to use some of this time today as we finish 1 Corinthians. Talk about radical forgiveness, doing everything in love, the more excellent way to do church, the most excellent way to apply your spiritual gifts and live as a Christian within a community of fellow sinners being reformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to radically forgive people, radically forgive people. We talked about how to confront, but not so much about how to forgive. Here's what I propose. When it comes to doing everything in love, applying this text and this model for church, that you would echo the prayer of Jesus on the cross for the ones crucifying him. Because they were mocking him. You're the son of man, save yourself. And Jesus' words to the Father were, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Striking because they thought they did know what they were doing. If you were to like freeze time and then go to the foot of the cross and ask the guy with a microphone who had just told Jesus to save himself, like, hey, freeze frame, hang on a second. What's your angle here? What's your strategy? He would be like, well, reporter from the future, this guy is here to save people. Why doesn't he save himself? And I've got an angle. I'm trying to expose the hypocrisy in this one who's on the cross. He would, he would give you his whole strategy and his rationale and his explanation for why he just mocked God. He thought he knew what he was doing. He didn't actually have any clue what he was doing. And Jesus knew that about him. If you've been wronged by somebody in the church, somebody tried to Matthew 18 you, I know I, I just kind of turned that chapter into a verb. I'm trying to be consistent with the sermon this past weekend. If somebody has tried to exercise spiritual discipline upon you and they botched it, they thought they knew what they were doing, but they actually had no clue. And so your prayer needs to be that of Jesus on the cross for his crucifiers. God, would you forgive them for botching that? They thought they knew what they were doing, but they actually didn't. The men crying out at the base of the cross thought that they were the good guys in the story. They were crucifying the Son of God, the innocent one, the spotless lamb. They didn't have any clue what they were actually doing and Jesus asked God to forgive them. Here's probably one of the most difficult ways in which you would do everything in love and apply this theme that I see book wide within 1 Corinthians. If you were to look upon those who have sinned against you with the kind of grace that Paul has for the Corinthian church, the kind of grace that Jesus had, for the ones who crucified him, would you be willing to pray, God, forgive them. And by forgive them, I mean, let them off the hook. Don't even really let them be exposed for what they're doing. Let them be even blessed despite what they've done to me. Forgive them. They thought they were doing the right thing. They didn't actually know what they were doing. In so praying, you will be at the epicenter of the very design of God for the gospel because this is what Jesus came for. 
and we get to second Corinthians, you're going to see this in second Corinthians chapter four and five and six, especially we've inherited this ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people to God. And God is choosing not to count people's sins against them. Is that not exactly what God has done for you? Because as you've been wronged by people in the church and you choose to pray and do it in, in love, like just forgive them, you yourself are a recipient of the exact kind of grace you're praying over them. And your unwillingness to forgive them and your Jonah-like tendency, I've, I've been this way before. I've prayed some imprecatory prayers over people before. See David in some of the Psalms, especially around number 24 to like 42-ish, it gets pretty severe. David's like, God, kill him, okay? Like, I've been a little bit Jonah-like. I mean, like, I don't want them delivered. I don't want them to receive grace. I want you to burn them from with fire from heaven, God. You know, like, I've been angry with people before, but what Jesus prayed on the cross for his crucifiers was, no, just forgive them. Just wipe their slate clean. Choose not to remember this anymore, God throw what they have done to me as far as the east is from the west. Choose not to count their sins against them. That's what God has done for you. How hypocritical would it be for us to say, God, don't count my sins against me, but definitely count their sins against them. We've been forgiven this huge debt and then we walk out of the king's palace and we see a guy who owes us money and we're like, ah, arrest that guy. For not paying his debts. It's hypocritical of us. And when you do this in love, we'll talk more about this tomorrow, you're gonna find that it sets your heart free. It sets your heart free. Paul was on to something. Go figure, somebody riding under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit might be on to something. There's a more excellent way to do church. It's through love. Do everything in love. And this includes forgiving stupid Christians who hurt you and forgiving the way that Jesus forgave his own crucifiers. Let's talk more about this tomorrow, but for now, would you press that to your heart and would you consider the notion? Because I know what it's like to be wronged, to be hurt, to be slandered, lied about in a way that is professionally damaging personally, financially harmful, emotionally damaging, not just for you, but for your wife and for your kids. And you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. You've got to do everything in love. It's a sweet message, right? But suddenly when you're face to face with like you having to love the people in the church who have wronged you, oh man, suddenly it's like the rope in gym class, but it goes like a thousand feet in the air. Let's talk about it more tomorrow, but for now, press it to your heart and come face to face with whether or not you're really ready to do this. I'll see you tomorrow.